Welcome to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast, where we bring the power of prevention to you. I'm Mike Wabshaw, Director of Marketing at Fit for Work, and pleased to be joined by Dr. Ben Hoffman. For many uh, in this space, Dr. Hoffman is a man who needs no introduction, but this is a podcast, and we like structure and some degree of formality. So I believe it bears noting that Dr. Hoffman is a highly seasoned physician executive with an extensive background in occupational and environmental health, clinical medicine, and transportation safety. He has been employed by government agencies, nonprofits, multinational corporations, and now he's a colleague of mine at Fit for Work and Work Steps. Dr. Hoffman trained at Yale, Brown, and Mount Sinai School of Medicine and is board certified in internal medicine, preventative medicine, and environmental and occupational health. He's also a very humble and um, gregarious and down-to-earth guy, so probably felt very uncomfortable during that introduction, but I found it necessary uh, to to describe those credentials, Dr. Hoffman, because I'm honored to be joined by you today and looking forward to some of your insights. So thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Mike. And yes, I am a little bit embarrassed when people introduce <laughs> me, so I'm glad you, yeah. you, you acknowledge that. Yeah, I I know, but you know, I think it it stands to reason with with your great background, not just in education, but also the background you have in in experience. I think you're a, a great resource on today's topic, which is the growing role of the chief medical officer um, in the United States, across the world, in corporations and businesses, large and small. And I know that there was an article um, in the JM. JAMA Health Forum about this that you actually pointed out to us and and we featured on both of our both the websites at Fit for Work and at Work Steps and I guess to open things up could you just explain why you thought that that was a notable article what what you thought was interesting about it and and sort of the the content topic in general of a chief medical officer Yes I did think the article was interesting and I sent it to you I think the primary reason is that I've spent my life in this in the realm of being a chief medical officer, a medical director. Uh, there's a number of different terms that are used. And frankly, most people, and particularly even physicians, never really understood what I did. In the old days, they used to say, well, why do you do that? Mm-hmm. And there's been a a really a big change in the world of occupational health and corporate medical directors. And it's suddenly due to a variety of factors, and it's not just one of the big ones, which was really the pandemic, that my colleagues are asking me, well, how do I do what you do? And so whenever I see an article that highlights the role of the chief medical officer, I feel as though I'd like other people to see it. I guess I'm trying to validate my role as a physician because over the years, some people would say, you're not really a physician. It's interesting, even in Texas, when I migrated down here about 25 years ago, the Texas Medical Board that licenses physicians initially did not want to give me a medical license because they said that I didn't practice medicine. As, as, as strange as that is, and it's interesting, one of the board members, or about eight of them, they brought me to a hearing, and one of the board members was the chief medical officer of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas. Okay. 
And she really gave them a very strong, uh, you know, lecture on what physicians do and don't do. And they should be embarrassed because if they wouldn't give me a medical license, then she shouldn't have one either. And interestingly, the, the reason they gave me a license at the time was because also written in the regs is that if you had a faculty appointment at a medical school, that was an automatic license in Texas. And at the time I had a professorship at Dartmouth Medical School. So that's how I got my license down here. Now I have licenses in 20 states, but there's been a real evolution of the role, my type of role in the medical profession and more broadly in the corporate and societal environment we live in. Mm -hmm. You know, and over time, things naturally evolve and change, but also there are events or circumstances that arise that might necessitate change or may make the change occur more rapidly. I can't help but think, and you've already mentioned COVID, and the, and the change or impact that might have had on the arc of a CMO and what companies feel their need is for a CMO. And I'm wondering, to take this a step further, if you could comment on that and or comment on the the nature of employees and their their self-awareness of their health, the, the status of their health and the fact that it is something that is important and that their employer should also care about. Do you think that has changed recently? And do you think perhaps COVID was part of that change? Uh, yes, 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 and yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You no, know, people sometimes take their health for granted. Yeah. And also what I... And the answer to this is is sort of broad, really, and I'll try to focus it. But also people in general have very little health literacy, meaning they don't really understand the factors that contribute to good health, that cause bad health. And so, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I, I think that in recent years, people are more focused on it. The pandemic really did it really did another thing in a sense around health. It, it made employers realize how important health was to being productive, let alone keep the lights on in the business. All employers face a combination of either common risks or sometimes unique risks. Those risks tend to fall into five categories, uh, chemical risks, radiation risks, uh, radiate, I said radiation risks, mm -hmm. uh, physical risks, which are things like thermal stress, heat, cold, and, and ergonomic type of issues, physical lifting things. Yep. Uh, they also have psychosocial risks, uh, mental health, and I'd like to get back to mental health later. Mm -hmm. But they also have biologic risks, and most employers don't really deal with biologic risks unless they're sending people off to places that have malaria or encephalitis or things like that. Occasionally, biologic risk in the workplace with, let's say, a little TB outbreak or 
an outbreak of uh, methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, which is a skin infection, things like that, or meningitis sometimes occurs, bacterial meningitis. Uh, they don't deal with biologic risk, but COVID made, pe- made employers realize how important biologic risk could be to uh, the success of their business. And it okay. also made them realize that employees did not exist only in the, or the, the managing those risks did not only rest solely on the types of protections and policies and procedures and all the things they did in the workplace, such as, you know, reducing transmission from worker to worker. But they also realized that what went on in the family setting, that is, you know, people went home and got sick because of transmission in their home. And they also realized that they they had to deal with the community as a potential risk factor because if the community did not have either controls in place or an adequate healthcare delivery system, uh, these factors beyond the four walls that they could control historically was going to impact their ability to run a business. And for the most part, most employers didn't know how to deal with that. And so that raised the need for a you know, a, a physician who was both strategic and understood policies and regulations and also the dynamics of what went on in a workplace. Hey everyone, John Grove, CEO of Fit for Work. We'll get right back to the podcast in a minute. But if you're tired of chasing injuries and working hard to get those numbers down, Fit for Work can definitely help. Our clients see a 50% reduction in the number of injuries and associated costs and enjoy the efficiency and ease of interacting with the turnkey program. Now, there are four ways that we partner with employers, on-site early intervention, industrial ergonomics, safety compliance, and employee testing. And while many people know us as working with large companies, we do have ergonomic and safety solutions for small and medium-sized clients as well. Imagine how your day-to-day would improve if you were able to bring a 50% reduction in injuries to the table. To connect with us, it's super simple. Go to wellworkforce.com, click on Connect With Us button, and put our team to work for you. Yep, very well stated. I know you said you wanted to come back to the mental health component of that. And so b- before we jump into a semi-related topic, uh, I want to I wanna bring you back to that and give you a chance to comment on that. What did you want to come back to related to, to mental health? Well, the, as I mentioned before, you know, employers have all these risks they have to deal with and manage and hopefully prevent the impact of those risks. And in recent years, mental health has really taken a much more front row, uh, you know, it's got attention in this day and age. I mean, we always had mental health risks that we had to deal with both as individuals and employers and our homes and our communities. But I think the pandemic unleashed a lot of people's concerns about their own well-being. And I know even personally and in my family, you know, really had a pretty big impact on all of us. And there's, a, you know, everybody can't help but go a day and not read something about the mental health challenges that exist in society now, whether it be the types of things going on with violence or the lack of access to proper mental health professionals. But we're experiencing this quasi-pandemic, uh, in a sense, <clears throat> of mental health impacting 
society and impacting the workforce. It's interesting. I read an article yesterday where the W, it was, a, it was an article from the, I'd say from early teens. And it was an article going over mental health issues like in 2010, 12. And, and they mentioned in the article that the WHO had estimated the number one challenge that employers were going to have to deal with that was going to limit their ability to function was mental health by okay. year 2030. Now, yeah. how they decided that, I don't know. But the reality is that I'm finding across the industry, no matter what type of employer it is, whether it be a bank or it's an old manufacturing company someplace in the Midwest or it's in Japan or China or wherever, is that struggling with the impacts regarding lost time, you know, productivity, absenteeism, that is lost time, presenteeism, that is people are working, but they're not all there, costs of mental health, inability to access mental health providers when the employer needs somebody to go be seen or recommending them to be seen has gotten to be a huge challenge. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I think you, you mentioned that in general, it's hard for people to get a real sound grasp on what what is health? What does it look like? And how do you get there? Um, yeah. And then individual components of your health in a vacuum are hard to understand. And your health in general is a mosaic of potential problems and some things that are going well. So <clears throat> it is a very hard thing to get your your arms around as a, as a civilian, so to speak. Um, and so obviously the role of, of a CMO in a business can be quite valuable. But this brings me to a question that I had while, while preparing for our conversation, Dr. Hoffman, and that is when I, you know, when, when a person sees, and I'll just speak for myself, when I see CMO, you know, a C-suite level employee, I think that it's common for you to immediately think about a level of, of distinction, importance, income, and status that many corporations in America can afford to have. They might have five, six, seven, or eight C-suite level employees, right? But there are a lot of businesses, most businesses that aren't that size that might be like, well, I don't have a chief of anything, you know? So what would you say, Dr. Hoffman, to people who own companies or are managing companies that might feel intimidated by the look or sound of a chief medical officer, but do recognize that a role like that is one that could help their organization, where, where could they turn to? Yeah, it's an important question, Mike. And when I hear the term chief medical officer, I think it sounds bigger a role or a more status than in fact it needs to have. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, most chief medical officers are not sitting in the C-suite by any means. They're trying to get access to the C-suite to have their opinions heard, and they're called upon frequently by the C-suite for opinions. But it's a position that exists down, I would say, for the most part, down into the lower rungs of upper management. And I don't know okay. if that means much to most people, but when you're in the corporate setting, there's a upper management part of the hierarchy. And most medical directors sit at the lower end of that, which is a very important place, mind you. It's like I would consider it a one or two star general type of thing. Yeah. 
Sure. Yeah. And so uh, every employer needs uh, help in managing wherever health touches their enterprise. And health touches the enterprise in so many different areas, whether it be benefit design, managing lost time, dealing with employee fitness to do their job, trying to prevent and manage injury, which is a big piece of what I'm doing these days. I focus this chapter of my career on that, to making sure that employees are fit to travel, that there's access to quality medical care when they're on the road, particularly in remote places, making sure the employers and you know is, is, is managing compliance and all those risks that I mentioned. And every employer has those needs. Some have more than others, but it's pretty much a core responsibility. I myself, starting out years ago, really in the mid-80s, doing this work. And still to this day, I still do, I I provide an hour a month, two hours a week, all the way up to much greater time commitments to employers based upon their needs. What I can say, it's pretty unusual for me not to maintain the relationship or to even expand it as the employer realizes how much value a skilled occupational health physician can provide to managing really important risks in their enterprise. Health is a very important aspect. You know, it's one of the four types of capital that an employer has. The other three, well, the four are, first of all, are intellectual property, which is things like patents and things like that. There's physical capital, which is plants and equipment that they have. Um, uh, I'm blocking the third one. There's one one more. And then there's human capital. Uh, Oh, there's financial capital, which is really money in the bank. And then lastly, there's human capital. And human capital has three components to it. The first one is skills and training. The second one is one's education. And the third one is health. And all three of those things, you know, human capital is is arguably the most important of the four types of capital because none of those other things happen without people making them happen. Now, you could say with robotics and AI, you know, things are beginning to change slightly. But at the end of the day, it's still people, it's still the human capital asset of an organization that makes things happen. And you want, you know, if you're an employer, you want to get the best people you can, but they have to be healthy. And if they're not healthy, then you have challenges. So the role, one of the roles of a chief medical officer is to do everything they can to manage ill health in the organization for many reasons and then also to promote the development of good health. And a good chief medical officer, medical director, medical consultant, doctor, whatever you want to call them, can be very valuable with that. And most of the C-suites that I work with are very aware of that. Um, And whether it's an hour a month or an hour a day or eight hours a day, or multiple people eight hours a day, like I had at GE, it has enormous benefit 
through the employer. And I want to finish up this thing with one more comment, and that is, unfortunately, the number of people out there that can do this work is more limited than the market needs. Okay. And in part, that's due to the fact that medical training tends to be very much disease focused. You know, you know, somebody coming to you with a problem, trying to figure out what that problem is and doing something about that problem is the core basis of medical training. And unfortunately, population health, which is really what we deal with as a corporate medical director, and policy and procedures and regulations and things like that are not areas where the average physician has any knowledge whatsoever. Hmm. And there's an imperative out there to get more training around this. And I think that the pandemic really highlighted the lack of adequate training for physicians to be able to do this type of work. Fortunately, it's changing and there's more training and other things going on. But one of the things that I think that we at Fit for Work and Work Steps can do is provide that expertise. Um, even though it may be limited and on an ad hoc basis, we have that ability. And we, you know, the term fractional medical direction directors, you know, yep. that the part time uh, role that we can play. And I was going to bring that up, but you just did right at the very end, because that is a term that that folks who may have had a conversation with fit for work or work steps may have heard and folks who run or manage a business and um, and are sort of dissuaded from the CMO title for reasons we've already talked about, they should hear that because that is sort of a potential entry point uh, for this type of resource and asset to add to your business is fractional medical director, fractional medical consultant, uh, all the way up to, to chief medical officer. I think let's not get lost in the semantics of it and instead focus on what does your business need? What do your employees need? Uh, what can you bring into your building, your corporation to enhance uh, what Dr. Hoffman has said is the most important type of capital, which is human capital. I think that's more important than anything else, Dr. Hoffman. What, you know, what's the title? Uh, what's the dosage or hours, all of that, I, I, I don't think matters so much. I think you get your foot in the door, you start with something, and then and then you see the benefit that it provides your people. you know. And then, as you said, pretty rare when you begin with a company and you don't end up expanding your services. Yeah. You know, my team and I focus a lot on going into employers of all sizes and doing an analysis as to what their needs are and what they have in place to manage those needs. And we have a framework we're using now called Total Worker Health, yeah, which I'm sure you wanted to talk about a bit, <laughs> which is a framework that's been around for some time. Uh, it's been recently pushed appropriately by the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, which is part of the Centers for Disease Control. It's a group that advises OSHA and other organizations around what the health place risks are and what can be done to manage them. And Total Worker Health is a recognition of all the things that we're talking about today. And it's one of the reasons that OSHA and NIOSH, the CDC, have decided to breathe some more life back into it recently. Yeah. And it's because 
it recognizes how there are so many different determinants and things that impact worker well-being and health and safety. Uh, and it's a, it's a good framework to use. It's been very well vetted and validated. And it's a good credential to have that you're looking at sort of a more of an integrated, holistic view of what impacts health and safety and people's well-being, both in the workplace, at their, in their homes, and in their communities to improve the bottom line of the company. Uh, and that's how we've been looking. That's the types of analyses we've been doing lately. Yep. And, you know, it's the total worker health concept is definitely one that's been introduced here on the Injury Prevention Podcast. Certainly um, something that's on, on minds of folks listening and it's something that will continue to be a topic here on the podcast, Dr. Hoffman. And uh, your colleague, Dr. Ross Daywalker, has been a guest here on, on the show, actually a two-part episode where we discuss that. And we know she's one of the, the thought leaders, uh, as are you, in this area. And we'll continue to talk about it and, and discuss the ways it's impacting people and businesses and the ways Fit for Work and Work Steps are leaders uh, in the market in finding solutions related to total worker health. I almost, I almost hesitate to talk much more about it right now, Dr. Hoffman, because we'll we'll be talking for the next fifty minutes, and I think we'll lose a bunch of people. And um, I'm sure you don't have another fifty minutes uh, to give me and the podcast right now. So I think we should probably table that for another day. How about that? Sounds good to me. Okay. Well, I. Um, we're going to go for now. We'll be back again, though, with another episode of the Injury Prevention Podcast, which is a fit-for-work podcast. So we encourage you to stay tuned uh, for future episodes. I'd like to thank you for listening to this one. And Dr. Hoffman, I'd like to thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. All right. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, to learn more about Fit for Work, Work Steps, and our services, visit our website, wellworkforce.com. And remember, prevention improves lives.